All right, uh, let me go ahead and pray for us to open up, okay? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much uh, just for your goodness. Uh, we thank you for um, the gospel of uh, Jesus Christ. Um, we thank you, Father, that uh, you've sent your son um, to die on the cross for our sins, that through him um, uh, we, are, uh, we have eternal life available to us um, through the faith that you grant. Um, and I just pray, Father, that um, Lord, we would rejoice um, in um, being adopted into your family. Help us to always be um, uh, just mindful, Lord, um, of our heritage, uh, that we were once your enemies, and now we have been grafted into uh, the vine of Christ. And um, I just pray, Father, um, for our time tonight, uh, as we um, just have a time of Q&A with our elders. I pray that it would be a fruitful time, a uh, time of encouragement, a time of edification. Uh, I pray that you would uh, give wisdom to our elders as they counsel um, our group. And I just um, uh, pray that uh, we would just all be able to um, uh, op listen with open hearts, um, hearts that desire to uh, apply your word into our lives. We thank you and lift these things in your name. Amen. All right, um, so uh, just a couple of things to keep in mind for the evening. Uh, first thing is um, we're recording the session as we usually do, um, so just uh, be mindful of that. Um, the next thing to mention is uh, if you're able to, it would be great if you can turn on your cameras. Um, and yes, yeah, just one small thing, um, but, but um, uh, a good way just to stay connected, uh, see each other's faces. Um, and then lastly, in regards to the chat function, uh, we do keep it open um, and we um, just ask that you use your discretion uh, if you choose to use it. Um, please think about using it in constructive ways, things that might complement um, what's being um, talked about um, or uh, potentially asking clarification questions. Um, so yeah. Um, we tonight will have a, a little bit of a different schedule. Uh, normally, as you, uh, as many of you know, we're going through the book of First Timothy as a ministry. Uh, this week, we're taking a bit of a break, um, and we'll be having a time of Q and A with our elders. Uh, we did solicit uh, questions offline um, in the last few uh, days, and got a good amount of responses from everyone. So, thank you to all who submitted questions. Um, you know, one thing, you know, I have a chance to look at all the, a lot of the questions and, you know, one thing I'm encouraged by is uh, sometimes these Q&As can, um, they can uh, turn into sort of a session of, you know, stump the responders or stump the leaders. Um, but uh, a lot of the questions I've seen come through uh, really are indicative of hearts that want to be counseled and shepherded. Um, so really appreciative of that. I will say that we're not going to be able to get through all the questions that were submitted, so apologies in advance. Um, but uh, uh, we we should be able to cover many of them. Uh, if you don't get your question answered, uh, one uh, avenue to consider is uh, perhaps on Sundays, um, uh, um, you know, just approaching the elders or approaching you know the person that's appointed to. Uh, council after the service um, and asking questions uh, that way. Um, so 
Yeah, and then in a minute, I'll just um, be uh, presenting or, or um, showing my screen to flash some of these questions. But before I do, we do have a VIP with us tonight. Um, we have uh, Pastor James Lee joining us from Lighthouse OC. Um, I think uh, a lot of these questions are, are hard questions. So Pastor Mark uh, has used a lifeline here uh, and reached out to um, the, the senior pastor in our sister church in Orange County. Um, James, maybe I could put you on the spot and uh, ask if you can give a brief intro for uh, those of us that haven't uh, had a chance to meet you yet. Um, yeah, I'm pastor in Lighthouse, Orange County, and um, my wife is Sandy, and we have three kids, and our youngest uh, was adopted um, uh, seven years ago, um, so we are foster parents for three and a half, four years. We had four children that we fostered prior to her, um, whom we all were so blessed by and got to love, um, and so, yeah, and uh, been at our church combined with Pillar prior, um, which it became Lighthouse, um, 18 years. And uh, it, and I just thank you for having me and love you guys. And so it's wonderful to see um, the ministry in San Jose doing so well and um, to see your faithfulness over all these years. Awesome. Thanks, Pastor James. Glad you can join us. Okay, so, so give me one uh, minute here to share my screen. Can you just give me a thumbs up if you see that? Cool. All right. All right. So here's what we're going to do. Um, I, I, basically, I've um, kind of bulked some of these questions and we've prepared responders in advance. Um, that's not to say um, the other elders, uh, if you're not assigned here, feel, please feel free to chime in um, if you want to add anything um, to the response. And, uh, you know, I'm going to kind of um, just go through these slides and flip through them so you're not going to really hear from me from this point on. Um, so if you can see my screen, uh, I'll give it to Pastor James. And these were a couple questions that were submitted. So, James, I'll give it to you. Okay. So um, yeah, I prefaced it because I, you know, my intro, because I know I was gonna share on this and it's uh, near and dear to my heart, um, but I think it is for all of us as Christians um, because Ephesians 1 says, well, we are predestined for adoption. Romans 8, you know, we have the spirit of adoption, which you can call the Lord Abba Father. And so um, in terms of the first question, uh, I, I know it's kind of, we know this, but um, on one level, I think it's easy to jump into any good endeavor without real, remembering everything is an act of worship and a spiritual endeavor. And so 1 Corinthians 10, 31, all to the glory of God. I think one temptation um, in adoption and especially fostering is we can make, I, make um, adoption or having a child or even the endeavor um, an idol. We can take something good and, uh, you know, if you're thinking about it, it's wonderful. It's worth it. You know, it's not for everyone. And I think there's a large call for people to, uh, if you're not going to be an active participant in that sense, um, there's always room as Christians for us to support in some way um, others who are, you know, um, participating in fostering or adoption. And so um, in fostering, there's no guarantee you will actually adopt, 
So you have to hold those children uh, loosely. And it's really about, you know, Philippines too, considering others' interests are better ahead of your own and uh, serving their family, serving their children, um, serving the Lord. And you can't make um, having a child as wonderful a desire that is um, as your end goal. It must be the glory of God. So I just want to throw that in. The word and the Lord are our primary resource. We bring it all that we need for life and godliness, right? Um, and um, they're not any special resources. It's the word, it's the Lord himself, it's the church. Um, but in terms of maybe some Christian resources, um, my wife and I were helped by the book um, uh, Adopted for Life, Adopted for Life by Russell Moore. Um, I will caveat that with there are aspects I don't agree with Russell Moore on his other theologies, but that book I felt was excellent. We, we were well served and just kind of connecting um, adoption to our adoption as believers. And that gives us a framework of how we, um, our perspective in, in uh, um, adopting other children or fostering. Um, and then another book that uh, I didn't read, I only read some of it, but my wife highly recommends it is um, Orphanology. Orphanology by Tony Merida, M-E-R-I-D-A, Tony Merida. And uh, there's a lot of other books out there. Um, you know, I've read one by, I think, uh, Thrive Me as Adoptive Family by David Sanford. It's uh, focused on the family. Um, but uh, I think the first two are, are ones I would recommend. The, there are a lot of others, even secular things that have descriptive value, but not prescriptive value because of a lot of humanistic psychology and this other stuff. So you really have to be discerning, but um, in order for us to be certified, we read it. And I would say there was some value in reading those things too. So um, you, you do have to, you know, qualify and take classes and things like that. Um, so I throw that in there, just saying you, you need to be discerning. And, um, and then, um, and I'm trying to promote that, but I preached on adoption in, at LBCSD. And so I think the sermon's there if you want to look it up. Um, and, uh, you know, you can Google Vody Bauckham or Piper. I think Lloyd-Jones did a series on adoption, not adoption in the sense of like the practical aspects of adopting or fostering, but um, what, in terms of what the Bible says. And I think that would be profound help to you to ground yourself in a biblical theology um, before you even jump into the, the practical things. And um, my wife and I are always available if, if that's something you're wrestling with. And, you know, we at least we want to come alongside you and, a, and a, answer any questions you have about the practical things. But there are a lot of resources out there on the internet. But those are two books I would probably recommend. Adopted for Life by Russell Moore, Orphanology by Tony Merida. And then, of course, uh, your church. I think it's important to have some sort of support system if you're going to be involved in fostering and adopting to have others speak truth into your life, but also encourage you along the way. Um, it's not easy, so, but it's also uh, a mutual blessing. So share the joy as well as the burden if you're endeavoring that. Um, as far as the second question, um, I'm not completely sure. Um, I don't, I'm not familiar with Foster, Foster the Bay, but I looked at it a little bit. So I'll do my best to answer the question. Um, I would say in general with parachurch ministries, um, 
it's important to discern what is the purpose and to identify it because I think when parachurch ministries hinder or replace the role of the local church, um, they cross the line that is not appropriate. And so, but I think there can be a place when they help meet some certain needs collectively or for the purpose of cooperative mission where we can do more together than on our own. And so there's value in that. But I would just throw, this is just my experience is that you know, when Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, right, that I consider nothing except Christ and him crucified, um, it is, there's a danger where something like friendship evangelism becomes all friendship and no evangelism, um, or the Salvation Army becomes an army without salvation. I'm not necessarily being critical of those things, entities, um, they're, 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 there's a good work involved. But it's important we have gospel clarity, you know. So um, when there are parachurch organizations, and you have to discern, and maybe with the help of your elders and others, um, you know, make sure you have clarity on the purpose, and it, and it usually should have a limited purpose. So um, looking at Foster the Bay, it seems, you know, from a distance, it seems it seems like a great thing. But there's a broad swath of um, uh, churches involved, and looks like a lot of solid churches. And 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 I praise God that there's something like that, um, uh, an organization like that, a ministry like that. Um, but I would just caution against you know uh, that that doesn't become the end all, doesn't replace the church, but also um, and sometimes when folks gather, they're Appropriately, it needs to be kind of broad to encompass meeting that purpose, okay? And hopefully it's a godly purpose, but there's a danger when it's so broad, like um, it, it, how can I say it? Um, they, they will say things like, we are doing this together for the gospel, per se. We, 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 we're honoring the same Lord, but then that gospel and that theology is counter to what we believe in. And so it becomes problematic for, for us to participate in things that lose their clarity or um, blur the line of uh, our, our faithfulness to the truth. Does, does that make sense? So oftentimes, I don't necessarily think that that's the case, but I think we just have to be discerning. But um, um, I, I maybe would highlight one thing is um, uh, there are a choice. If you're fostering, there's something called FFA, Foster Family Agencies, that we um, were helped by in Orange, in Orange County. It's Olive Crest and groups like Serenity, I think, is the name. I'm sure in the Bay Area you have groups like that. Um, they're very helpful, and a lot of them are Christian Judeo um, in value because but they can't be explicit about that necessarily because they come under the state. Um, but the value in that is they come alongside and help you. Um, you can go through the county, your county, but you will basically be on your own because the social workers there, they are just you know, overwhelmed, okay? So uh, I would throw that out there as kind of, in many cases, like a parachurch ministry where um, your local church may not always have the same expertise 
or resources to assist you in that, um, but they will make a direct connection and assist you in the whole course of adopting and placement and provide legal help and all of those things. So it's good, it's, it's something to praise God for that these parachurch type ministries exist, um, but just make sure that you're not engaging in something that compromises um, your own faithfulness. So if that makes sense. So I hope I answered the question, but feel free to reach out to me anytime if, if you have further questions. Thanks, Pastor James. Um, yeah, it's good to know that we have somebody in the Lighthouse family that's familiar with these processes. Uh, any of the other elders want to chime in um, before we move on? Okay, cool. Thanks, everyone. Um, we'll move on to the next set of questions. Uh, and then I'll just read the questions, actually, just for the sake of audio recording. Uh, and then, Peter, I'll hand it to you. How can we be praying for each of you? Uh, second question is, when does a good God-honoring commitment, uh, such as relationships, ministry, family, etc., become an idol? What verses can we go to and questions we can ask to test our, test our hearts? Peter? Okay, yeah, I appreciate the questions. Um, and uh, so the first one, how can we pray for each of you? Um, the way I'll answer it, because, uh, you know, it's a question to me, uh, is more about perhaps how you can pray for elders um, in general. Um, I'll, I'll answer it that way. Um, and then maybe if Ted and Mark, you have burning uh, prayer requests, you can toss a few on top of what I say. Um, but uh, essentially, um, uh, shepherding, as some of you have been finding out because you guys are leading small groups and uh, some of you have been dealing with um, correcting, you know, one another's sins. And some of you have been um, trying to um, encourage others to, uh, you know, strengthen their faith. And some of you have been, some of you are very familiar with how difficult sometimes those things can be. Um, and uh, this is what essentially elders deal with at the church. Um, and, you know, our greatest goal in the church is essentially what 1 Peter 5 says, which is to shepherd the flock. Um, and 1 Peter 5 really is based on humility. Um, it, essentially, that your shepherds need humility to be effective shepherds in the church. Um, so how do you, how can you be praying for each of us? Uh, biblically speaking, you know, the, your prayers really should um, ask God to give you elders that are called in scripture. That's 1 Timothy 3, that's 1 Peter 5, that's Titus 1. Um, and, you know, we should be, you know, you should be praying for us that A, we are walking consistently with the, the, what we've been called to do and B that we do so joyfully. Um, even if it's, there's times it's discouraging and, and there's even suffering involved. Um, you know, just the fact that you guys pray for us in that also molds your heart to be more appreciative of your shepherds. Um, because, you know, it's easy to take for granted that, you know, Pastor Mark's always going to be there or Ted's always going to be there. And, um, you know, the truth is, you know, we, you know, 
we need your prayers. Um, it's not it's not an easy uh, role to do, and you def we definitely don't want to do it in the flesh in our own strength. And so, um, so praying through Scripture um, and praying for biblical elders, um, praying for elders that are faithful, um, praying for elders that are passionate for Scripture and passionate for our Lord. Um, that's infectious in the church, that we can encourage you to be passionate as well. Um, praying for elders where, you know, just like 1 Timothy 4, um, to, to grow in Christ so that all can see our progress. You know, we are kind of the front line and center. Um, you know, we're, we've got the spotlight on our, on our, um, in the church and, um, you know, we, we can't fake this. You know, we can't fake our spiritual maturity um, for very long before we get found out. So we, so I always tell people, people always kind of go like, wow, it must be really hard to be an elder sometimes. I go, it is if you're trying to be a fake because it takes way too much energy to keep it up. But it's easy if you're just honestly growing because then you're just sharing your heart when it's time to share your heart. And you're just being honest with people when it's time to be honest with people. So it's really not a... Um, it's really not rocket science. It's it's really, if you're just really honestly private in your private life following the Lord and in your public life following the Lord, and even if you're sin, you fall into sin and you're failing and you repent from it and you keep following the Lord, just like all of you, because elders do, we also struggle with sin as well. Um, you know, the the role is an incredible joy because you're not, you're not trying to um, convince people that you're more mature than you really are. Um, and so pray for that type of humility, you know, for us, um, pray, pray for us that we, we, um, point you to Christ, you know, pray for us that we make Christ more, um, just, you know, critical and, uh, worthy of our worship. Uh, we present him to you and present you guys perfect in him. Cause we're, we also realize that, you know, that we're going to have to answer to this calling um, with the Lord. And so um, for me, I obviously all the elders take it very seriously. I take it very seriously. Um, and we want you to do well in the Lord. We want you to do well in your walk. And then at times that means I sometimes walk alongside you and I ask a few tough questions to make you feel a little uncomfortable. Um, you know, and sometimes it means that we, uh, you know, keep, ask you some, you know, to challenge you, you know, to keep growing in, in your faith. And so um, it doesn't, it, it, it doesn't necessarily mean we get a, a thank you for that from you guys. Um, I rarely get a thank you, but it does mean that we're doing our role our, 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 and, and being a shepherd of, of Christ church, we, you have to have a long-term perspective um, because the payoffs at the very end um, when all this is over. And so, um, so pray for us, you know, to have a big perspective on, Christ's return, you know, pray for us that we, we want to elevate the name of Christ, you know, those things, that's all in scripture. And so that's the best way to pray for your elders. Um, here, I'm going to also say one more thing. Um, pray for yourselves be, that you be a God-honoring congregation. Don't just pray for us that we're faithful elders. What's good, what good is faithful elders if the congregation is not faithfully following the Lord? And so um, you know, in, in Hebrews 13, in Hebrews 13, it says, obey your leaders. And you want to, you want God to mold your heart um, 
to have that meekness. You know, remember in Matthew chapter five, um, you know, the meek will inherit the earth. And, um, and also in Matthew 18, it says, faith, you need the faith like a child to even enter into the kingdom. This, the, you, the faith like a child means that you need to be willing to be led like children by people who are more mature than you. That's what Jesus is getting at. Um, he's not, we, we, you know, the, the mainstream Christianity has turned that faith like a child statement into something like, you know, you just want to believe blindly and blind faith. And it's really, the idea there is that unless you humble yourself and actually listen to instruction, you're not going to be able to enter the kingdom of heaven because that's what it takes to go through the narrow gate. Because nobody who believes the gospel on day one is fully um, ready as Christ <laughs> wants you to be to enter the kingdom. So, um, so also pray for yourselves. You know, don't just pray for us. Pray for the congregation. Um, you know, when you hear your friends complaining about the sermon, when you hear your friends complaining about the music at church, when you hear your when your own, you know, brothers and sisters in Christ are grumbling and complaining. Um, Hopefully you're mature enough that you can gently point that that's not a Christ honoring place to be. And so you also need to pray for yourselves because, you know, it's easy to criticize the leaders. Um, that's been happening for over 4,000 years, even with Moses. Um, remember the sons of Korah all stood up against Moses and, um, and then God took Moses aside and, uh, and, then, and then the sons of Korah got consumed by fire that came out of the tent. Um, that's in the book of Numbers. And so, um, so yeah, complaining about the leaders is very easy to do. And frankly speaking, it's also one of the biggest signs that you're not growing as a Christian. And at the very worst, you may have never learned what it really meant to have faith like a child or meekness, which could potentially mean you're not a believer. So um so pray for that. Pray for that level of faith in the Lord where you're not um, a complainer in the church and you're, you're someone who's walking in faith in the church. So that's, that's how I would answer number one. Um, I, I want to leave maybe Mark and Ted. Uh, do you have anything specific that you'd like the church to be praying for you guys? I agree with you, Peter. So same stuff. Ted? Amen to whatever, all the things you shared. I covet those prayers as much as you do. Yeah, I, maybe I'm going to throw one thing, which is, I think, really an extension of what you're saying, Peter. Um, you know, we, we would like the Lord, when you go through scripture as leaders, it talks about the Lord raising up leaders. So you go from the Old Testament to the New Testament, the Lord raises up leaders. And then when you get to Jesus ministry, Jesus appoints leaders. It's really leaders are a work of the Lord. You know, it's not a work of man. And so for our church, one thing to pray for is for the Lord to raise up godly men who love Christ. You know, elders, non-elders, deacons, whatever it is, that is a prayer that we look to the Lord. Unity. Unity is a gift from the Lord. And to pray for the elders' unity, that's something that's a miracle from the Lord that I sort of marvel at that the Lord has given us. 
It doesn't come easy. Uh, and, and it is a gift of grace and, and not every church has it. So, you know, taking everything that Peter said and putting it into a package, you know, but praying for the congregation, praying for the elders and their walk with the Lord, that the church that you would actively praying that, that the Lord would raise up godly men to lead in the church. Thanks, Mark. Yeah. Uh, amen to that. And, um, so hopefully, um, Whoever asked that question, I answered that, you know, comprehensively. Um, but if you pray for those things, I think every, any of the elders um, and any pastor, by, you know, uh, would be encour very encouraged by the congregation. So um, let's go to the second question. When does a good God-honoring commitment, relationships, ministry, family, anything, I guess, that you commit to become an idol, uh, what verses can we go to and questions we can ask to test our hearts? All right. Now this gets a little deeper, right, guys? So when does a good God-honoring commitment become an idol? Um, you know, it, it's a pretty open-ended question. Um, but, you know, let's start with just the question. Let's just, you know, take it one step at a time. What is an idol? Um, what is an idol? So... If you go um, to uh, Exodus, Exodus chapter 20, verse 3, part of the Ten Commandments, you shall have no other gods before me. Let's just start there. Let's just start there. Um, idols are a problem because it contends with God's authority, God's lordship, um, the creator of the heaven and earth. Uh, and so you know, when does a God-honoring commitment become an idol? If I can change that question a little bit to make it more clarifying to the group here, when does a good God-honoring commitment con start contending against the Lord? When does it become a contention against God's word or God's authority um, or what God wants for your life? Um, and I think when you ask it that way, it starts becoming clear, doesn't it? It's not, it, it, the question is not all that complicated after that because um, you know, I always gave this sort of example, and I think a lot of us are familiar with the Matrix movies, you know, and uh, you got Neo, uh, Keanu Reeves, running around in this, in this computer-generated world where Agent Smith can turn into any person and start killing him and following after him. You guys remember the movie, right? Um, so that's what an idol is like in this life. Anything good can start turning into something that can kill you spiritually. Just like that Matrix movie, because it's like, it's like, yeah, I like basketball. Basketball is fun. I like being with my friends. These are all good things. And then all of a sudden your heart, the, the game starts exposing pride and anger and frustration. And all of a sudden you, you can't stand your friends anymore. And it's like, th that's what something good can turn into. An idol is just, is potentially anything in your life it can be anything. It can be anything. That's why I think this question is so appropriate when it says, when does a good God-honoring commitment, relationships, ministry, family, which are good things, how, how do those things all of a sudden take me away from God? And the answer is when, you know, um, when it's contending against God. Um, I'm going to also read another verse here in Colossians. 
chapter 3, verse 5, and it reads, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, but it ends with, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So in Colossians 3, which uh, the context of that chapter is taking off your old self, your fleshly self, your sinful self, and worldly thinking, and putting on the new man, the new sister, the new, the new woman, the new man, you, the, the new person in Christ, right? Um, and you need to put off these sinful things in your life, but, but it, it equates covetousness with idolatry. In fact, if you think about it, sin is really a symptom of idolatry. All sin is. So, you know, the very things that, the reason you fall into uh, looking at things you shouldn't on the computer, for instance, is really an idolatrous heart for, for a certain type of pleasure, right? Um, why, do you wanna, why do you feel tempted to lie on your taxes? Well, because you have an idolatrous perspective of money and saving some money there. So idolatry really is the heart of the, the problem of all sinful men. This is the problem that Christ came to resolve on the cross, um, to really kill idolatry in our hearts um, and our propensity to want to put a false God in place of the true God. And, and so, um, so here's a couple of practical things that I can uh, share, you know, questions you can ask yourself. Some of the things about, um, about, the, um, about idolatry and how it really starts coming out is that for whatever reason, just like Colossians 3.5 says, um, there's covetousness, there's a lack of commitment with what you have. A lack of contentment, sorry, is what I meant. There's a lack of contentment with what you have. So for some reason, you will either sin to get something and you will sin when you don't get it. Either path that happens in your life, you can't, for some reason, you can't be satisfied with it. So if your desires to become a millionaire, um, you will sin to try to become a millionaire. But if you don't become a millionaire, your reaction will be sinful towards that. Um, and you'll be, you'll blame your friends, you'll blame people around you, you'll blame shift. And um, either way, you're going to sin. That is really of a picture of an idol, as there's sin on both sides. Um, when I, when I see people in a sinful, let's say dating relationship, and I'm, I'm counseling a guy, and you just basically share basic concerns that, hey, I don't know if this gal is spiritually, I don't even know if this gal is a Christian. Um, I, I don't think this is a good idea for you to be dating this gal. Um, the guy will you know, sin, you know, react sinfully um, either way, whether he stays with her and that relationship will turn into sin or whether he actually listens and breaks up, but he'll still respond sinfully with anger, frustration, and discontentment. So there's no, th this is really the picture of an idol. So how do you know that something's good is starting to become an idol? It's a really a lack of contentment in God. For some reason, you, you're, either way, you're just gonna, you feel like you're, you've been trapped, you've been put in a situation that's unfair, um, and you start blaming everybody, and you think that you have a right to get angry at the situation, and angry at God, and angry at people, um, this, it, it's, it's become an idol. Um, and, you know, you know, a lot of you may think, well, that's weird. I thought idols, you know, um, it's supposed to be more concrete than that. But really, 
an idol is just you place something in your life that you're treating as God that's not God, right? So, um, so one of the questions you can ask yourself is, is this something I'm willing to sin if I get it or I don't? Like, is there really no place where I can really feel a contentment in Christ either way? That's one of the best questions to ask, um, you know, of, of, of anything in your life. Um, you know, it, if you have to get it to feel satisfied in Christ, if you need to have it in your life, if you need something to be, to look a certain way, if you need, if you're a husband and um, if, you, if you need your wife to be a certain type of wife for you to be, feel satisfied in Christ, congratulations, you have an idol, right? Um, if the music in the church has to sound a certain way, congratulations, you might have an idol. Um, if the sermon has to come out a certain way to, to, to mimic your favorite popular preacher of a mega church, you might have an idol. Like, these are all good things. You want good sermons. You want a good wife. You want good music. But then all of a sudden, these things, just like Agent Smith popping up in Matrix, it's all of a sudden there to destroy your spiritual walk. Um, this is the reason why um, in 1 Corinthians 10, um, 10 verse 14, which is really about apostasy and tasting the Lord, that whole chapter, and I won't go in every detail, but I'll just say that 1 Corinthians 10 is really about participating things of Christ and then walking away from it and really missing the mark and never really being saved. And at the end of 1 Corinthians 10, 14, it says, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. It's idolatry that draws your heart away from Christ. And so, um, so it can be anything, but definitely it can be relationships, uh, ministry, it can be family, it can be your job, it can be your hobby, it can be even something as silly as watching your favorite TV show, playing your favorite video game, eating your favorite food. All these things can all of a sudden be an opportunity for you to care more about getting that than loving your brother and sister in Christ, and let alone loving God. So. Um, so I don't know, I can, I, I can turn this into a 60 minute sermon and I'm going to stop now and we can, I can keep going. Um, I'm going to say that I think that's probably, you know, suffice for now. Um, but um, thank you guys. Thank you guys for listening. Thanks, Peter. Um, so we will go to the next uh, slide here. Um, so just being conscious of time, I think we said a couple uh meetings ago that we're going to try to, you know, keep this um, uh, kind of the teach core teaching time 40-ish minutes. Um, so we'll try to um, kind of limit these next few ones to a few minutes each, but uh, we'll, we'll try to get to it through as many of the remaining as possible. So I think, Peter, this one was for you as well. Is there anything you wanted to comment on? What should my heart attitude be towards investing in 401k? Is it in some ways analogous to the parable of the rich fool since it's storing away money in hopes it'll provide a comfortable living decades later. So any uh, principles share as far as saving and investing, et cetera? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'm going to, just for sake of time, um, I'm going to give you the, the, the very straightforward answer here, and then I'll see, uh, you know, um, I can bring up some Bible verses, but 
uh, Proverbs comes to mind. I know there's a proverb that, you know, that compares a wise person like an ant who stores away for the winter, you know, and they work really hard during the summer. And, um, you know, I, I think there's a place uh, of wisdom for saving money. Um, if you don't think about your future, you're not a wise person. If you're not considering your future. However, there's also um, a, an extreme version of that where you're storing away so much, um, almost like you're gonna live forever. And that's the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler, if you think about it, the reason he came to Jesus that day and asked for what? You guys remember what he asked specifically? He didn't ask, how do I get into heaven? He asked, how do I um, get an eternal life specifically? He wanted to live forever, but he wanted to live forever so he can stay rich forever. He never wanted to give up his things. And the only thing that was going to separate him and his things was death. Okay. So if you think about the rich young ruler, which is a very interesting example, um, it, in some ways, it is the ultimate example of, of greed and the heart and foolishness because um, you, you store things in your life to the point where you can't really enjoy it after you die. But storing things up in your life to be responsible uh, for your kids, storing things in your life to make sure that you can live um, up to the average age of somewhere between around 80 years old and 90 to 100 years old, um, I think is very, the Bible says is reasonable. You know, it, just giving away all your money so you can't, you can't even live off of it, so you have to start becoming a burden on other people is also um, cautioned in scripture. Like you, you want to be able to work for, with your hands and take care of yourself. You don't, want, you don't want to count on the church creating some type of program uh, where you're getting some paycheck, you know. So, so this is all the balance of the wisdom here. And so what should my heart attitude be towards investing in 401k? Thankfulness. You should be thankful you have a 401k. You should be thankful that you have some type of uh, vehicle um, that the government gives you some tax break so that you can, you know, uh, your investment can grow more so than if you just put it in stocks. 401k is the government's answer, answer to all of us as we get older. And the truth is we always think we're going to work till 65 or 70. What if something happens in your health and you only can work till 45 or 40? You don't know the future. And that's, that's just the key right there. You don't know the future. So you want to definitely um, be responsible with the financial opportunities you have, um, but not become like the rich young ruler to the point where you're so afraid to part from your earthly treasures that you're looking for ways to live forever here on earth. Um, and so, uh, so yes, I think that's my, that's my answer to that. You should be thankful. There is a way, you should, just as much you should be a cheerful giver in church um, I think the more the Lord has blessed you by wealth, um, in the book of James, if you're wealthy, it says, it says, make sure that your good works match up to how wealthy you are, meaning do something good with your wealth. You don't have to die with all this wealth where you just give it to somebody else. You can do a lot of it, giving to missions, giving to church. Um, and also, um, in, uh, first Timothy six, um, a lot of people get drawn away from the Lord because they're trying to get rich. So, so penny stocks, gambling, where literally you're double, you know, you keep um, your double or nothing, your, your investments um, to try to uh, make your money really quick. There's a Proverbs about that. Forgive me for not knowing the reference, but 
but he who makes try to make you know money quickly will lose it quickly but he who saves little by little will actually gain wealth so so there is a principle in scripture where the types of investments you should be doing is looking for that you know that 5 to 10% annual gain rather than the 50 to doubling the tripling the quadrupling your money annually kind of thing um, those aren't the types of investments that you're going to get blessed by so really short again i guess i'm finding out that these answers can get really long there's a lot to say about everything but i'll stop there thanks peter and yeah i think a lot of the principles you mentioned in, in the prior question is probably apropos here as well I'll also plug one of my favorite books here um humbly but uh, um, the treasure principle which is a nice small book with some really great principles uh, Ted, a uh, couple questions for you here. What are you as elders going through in family devotions? How does that look weekly? How aware are inform and informed should Christians be about news and politics? What are some biblical commands or wisdom a couple should think through when considering how many children to have? So nice, some nice softballs there for you, Ted. Uh, feel free to maybe, you don't have to go through all of these exhaustively if you want to highlight uh, maybe one or two of them. Yeah, sure. Um, appreciate these questions. I'll, I'll try to be brief and I, I probably will just choose a couple. Um, you know, for the first, uh, family devotions, um, you know, like you said, it's a softball right now. You know, our family's going through uh, the Gospels, um, you know, just walking through. Uh, we just finished Matthew. We're going through Mark now and just looking at the life of Christ, um, the person of Christ, the work of Christ, and just um, just reading it, you know, with our kids and then talking about it. Um, yeah, uh, previous to that, we, you know, went through some of the parables, you know, talking about the kingdom of God. Um, how does that look for us? You know, as our boys have gotten older, we've, you know, increasingly um, had them participate, you know, either by reading uh, or praying. Uh, we invite questions from them. And so whatever we read, if they have any questions about, you know, what this means or that, we also ask them questions. So it's very interactive. Uh, it's not like a, you know, didactic sort of thing uh, in our home. Um, you know, it usually doesn't take for more than probably 10 to 15 minutes for us. Uh, we used to do it, you know, right before bedtime. Um, that was what we used to do. But since we had Joshua, uh, we now do it in the morning just because it works better for our schedule. And so um, as we're eating breakfast, we'll, we'll kind of do that time together. And, and what we've learned, you know, just over the years uh, is, is regarding family devotional, it's just really important to be flexible, um, but it's also important to be uh, consistent. And, you know, for all of us, as we go through different uh, seasons of life, you know, whether it's, um, you know, having more kids, whether it's changes in schedule, uh, you know, we're busy at work, uh, a particular season or even, you know, busy with ministry. Um, you know, we just have to learn to be flexible. And, you know, the other thing is, you know, a lot of times, for example, this morning, you know, the kids were just really fidgety. They were distracted. It didn't seem like anything was getting through to them, you know, but for me, it was just a humbling, but also a good reminder, right. That, you know, when we do these family devotionals, we, we do it in faith. Right. At the end of the day, it's not about our perfect execution, um, uh, but it's about being faithful and, and trusting that the Lord will use, you know, what we give in faith uh, and use that somehow, you know, if he wills uh, to bring our children to saving faith. And so, um, 
you know, that's how it looks like in our home, you know, and, you know, I would say this, you know, it, it looks differently in, in different in every family, um, you know, how you do it, when you do it, you know, all those sorts of things. Um, but, you know, if I had to summarize, you know, what we are trying to do with these family devotionals, um, you know, we really just want to build our, our home around uh, Christ and his word. Uh, and we also want to avail ourselves to the means of grace that God has given to us, right? And that's his word and, and, and prayer. And so we just want to, you know, apply those means of grace and, and trust that the Lord will use that to, to, to draw our children to himself. Um, so that's kind of how it looks like in our home. And, you know, if I could just briefly share, you know, I may not get to the other questions, but, you know, this is just something on my heart, you know, and, um, you know, just speak more broadly to the, the, the heart of family devotions. And, um, you know, I want to talk about this just because, you know, whether you're a family of four boys like ours, whether you have just one daughter, whether you have one boy and one girl, you know, our family makeup would be different, might look different. Um, but the heart and purpose of why we do family devotions, uh, that ought to be the same, right? And uh, that's because that comes from the word of God. And so, you know, if you guys could turn to Deuteronomy 6, um, 4 through 9, uh, I'm just going to read it. Um, maybe you guys don't have to turn there. But it says this, uh, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts on your house and on your gates. And so, you know, when we uh, think of family devotionals, you know, we, we tend to think of the activity of family devotional, you know, specifically what we need to do. Uh, and usually it, it's focused in on, you know, our children. And, um, you know, as we just read, and I shared this before at our parent-child dedication class, but, you know, I want to challenge you with this one thought, you know, drawn from Deuteronomy 6. And it's this, that family devotionals are, it's to be the fruit of God's word uh, in our lives first as parents. Right. Family devotionals are just to be the fruit of the work of God's word in our lives as parents. It begins first in our own hearts. Right. As we just read, you know, in verse four, do we recognize God for who he is in our lives? And then subsequently, do we respond to him in love? And specifically there it says, you know, love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your might. You know, what we see, you know, from this passage is that, you know, if we're loving Christ, you know, if we're enjoying his word, if we're growing and being transformed by it, the overflow of that will just be, you know, our family devotions. It's our ministry to our children. And, and, and someone who, who is, you know, acknowledging who God is and, and loving Christ and trying to love him, you know, more and more each day. Um, he can't help, that person can't help but talk about his word. And he can't help but talk about its effect, you know, on our lives. And on the flip side, you know, if those things are lacking in our lives as parents, you know, it shouldn't surprise us when family devotions become a chore or a burden, you know, rather than a joy and delight. So, 
know, I just wanted to share that, um, you know, in light of the fact that, you know, for many of us as families, we struggle, you know, from time to time in this area. Um, but the remedy is, is, is for us to be growing and for us to be um, loving Christ. And, and the overflow is, is the family devotions that follow. Awesome. Thanks, Ted. Uh, very encouraging and challenging for, for our families and, and uh, prospective families and future families. I uh, appreciate your counsel there. Um, we'll go to uh, Pastor Mark. There's actually a, two slides, a couple of questions. So, Mark, I'm going to let you choose um, a question of your choice. But uh, there's this one. Can you discuss what was or were the first sins in Genesis 3 and how that pertains to gender roles? Um, this one, how, to, uh, how do you admonish a friend who is not doing well spiritually? Uh, some examples here someone feeling isolated or not understood or apathy towards God's word and spiritual disciplines. And then this last one, how do we think about, how do we think biblically about supporting aging parents financially? Big, so big far. list. Um, let's see, you know, the, the Genesis one, that's Anna, Anna, Anna Sue, I'm calling you out. Can you uh, nail it down exactly? Um, Give you the opportunity here as far as what specifically uh was your concern with genesis 3 and gender rules and the first sin sin of omission and sin of commission hi yeah um clarence and i were discussing it and oh anna you can't ask unless we can see you oh okay <laughs> clarence you got to show up brother you got to see your face there you go can you see? You got to represent now? and lead since we're on Genesis three, and that's what this is about. We can't see ourselves, but can you see us? We can see you. Yes. Okay. Um, Clarence and I were discussing it, and it it was interesting that Adam's sin or failure to lead as a man came first, where he was sitting there and watching Eve have poor understanding of what God had first told. Uh, Adam and he didn't lead Eve and then she sinned so then he had a sin or what we would call like a sin of omission he didn't do what he was commanded to do but then we were discussing maybe it was a sin of commission that was counted as first because Eve uh, outright she she disobeyed outrightly and chose to go against what God did so because if we brought this situation to you and we were in the similar situation as Adam and Eve, you would reprimand Clarence first <laughs> and not me. You're letting out all my secrets and nobody's <laughs> going to come to me for marriage counseling because they know I'm going to bust the man's chops first. Um, <laughs> hey, you, you know what? It's a great question. Um, and it's a, it's, a, it's a wonderful question because the Lord addresses it. And uh, when you look at uh, 1 Timothy 2, verse 14, you know, or 13, it says, for it was Adam who was created first. He's talking about women remaining quiet, okay? And then Eve, and it was not Adam who was deceived, but the woman being deceived fell into transgression, okay? And he talks about that deception. Now, what we're dealing with is a little bit of implication, 
The implication here is Adam was not deceived. Eve was deceived and fell into transgression. And she fell into transgression first. That word transgression is a very specific word. It means crossing the line. So the first official crossing the line of disobeying the explicit word of God is Eve. As far as eating the fruit, she takes, she eats. That's explicitly what the Lord is commanded against. And then she hands it. So Adam is number two. Okay. But I'm going to ask you to stay tuned to all my sermons after Easter. Because when you walk through, when you look at Genesis 3 very carefully, the Lord gives the serpent a curse. And then he gives the earth a curse because of what Adam has done. But he does not give Eve explicitly, directly a curse. And in fact, he spends more time addressing, judging, and spanking the man than he does the woman. All the focus is on the woman primarily in our culture because we have this issue about women's rights. So that one verse, which I'm spending forever on, 316, is a lightning rod because of our culture and our sin. And, it, it, and it's got this big of a proportion. But when we actually come to God's word, the woman gets basically one verse, 316, as far as judgment goes, the man gets a lot. Okay. And so the Lord actually comes out and steps out. He addresses things in the order in which they happen. Serpent first, Eve second, man third. He saves the best for last. And he gives a very good spanking to the man. So I like to think when you come to my place first, and if I spank Clarence first, loudest, most, I'm hoping I'm walking somewhat in the model of Genesis three. That's tongue in cheek. Okay. So, but you will have several sermons which hopefully will do justice to that. And, and look, I think where we go with this is the Lord knows the hearts of all men and his justice is good. We might not completely understand it, okay? But we trust and we see through Genesis 3 that the Lord is just and good. Not, not particularly satisfying, I can see from your faces, but I will let you all come and apply those questions after Sunday sermons the best I can do. Um, we are over time. Steve, we're at 9.32. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah, thanks to, uh, well, thanks for that um, the nice cliffhanger um, and a reason to stay tuned for everybody um, to Sunday uh, sermons following Easter. And thank you to the elder board and to, uh, sorry, to the elders and then to Pastor James for the thoughtful responses, uh, very um, steeped in the word. Um, so thank you for that example. And uh, to everybody that submitted questions, thank you for doing that. Um, yeah, I think, you know, this just shows that there's a lot of um, great questions that are in the body. I think it's even just for the sake of, um, you know, just sharing those thoughts with the leaders and having them kind of review those. I think it's really helpful, um, hopefully, for the elders to kind of see kind of what's on the hearts and minds of the congregation. Um, we will go through a couple of announcements and then we'll uh, let you all get going, okay? So, um, First off, uh, uh, if you're new to Logos, uh, thank you for joining. We're thankful that uh, you're able to join us, um, even in this virtual format. Um, and uh, we just uh, want you to know that we'd love to uh, invite you out to our Sunday service. Um, it is also available virtually, but we are meeting in person as well. 
Um, and if you are interested or have any questions, uh, we encourage you to reach out. Uh, I'll put a contact here for um, JC and Kat. Uh, actually, this is a good reminder that normally this is Teddy and Naomi, but uh, they are taking care of their newborn. Um, so good reminder to keep them in prayer. Um, Lagos, so next week is our scheduled off week for most folks. Uh, the leaders will be getting together with the elders for accountability. Uh, following that um, will be the week of uh, Good Friday and Easter. So while we normally would have the large group Lagos in that um, cadence, we're going to not have that on Thursday, but instead we will have a virtual Good Friday service um, on Friday evening. And then uh, Pastor Mark will be sharing a devotional um, uh, that week. Um, and so what we encourage you to um, really just be in prayer, in the word, um, just uh, meditating on uh, the, the Passion Week. Uh, feel free to get, get together with your groups um, and just to um, pray together. Um, but uh, it will be scheduled off for Lagos and instead we will have Good Friday service. Okay, and then finally, Cornerstone. So we'll be continuing on in our Cornerstone series, uh, which is an hour of teaching on Sunday uh, afternoon from four to five. This coming week uh, will be part two of the Gospel Marriage and Family series. Okay, so let me go ahead and pray for us and, um, and uh, close our time. Okay, let's pray. We thank you, Father, um, just for this uh, time. Um, Thank you just for uh, this opportunity, uh, both to see uh, the, the thoughts and questions that are on the hearts of our members, um, and also just to hear from um, our leaders, uh, how to think through many of these um, things about uh, just practical living, uh, Christian life, uh, difficult decisions through the lens of scripture. Uh, we thank you that you're continuing just to um, uh, teach and grow these men, and through uh, that wisdom that it can be uh, poured out into our lives. Um, I pray that we would have hearts that are that are open uh, to your leading uh, through our elders. Uh, we just pray for um, uh, just the rest of this week, whatever um, station you have us, whether in our workplaces, in our schools, in our families, uh, that we would continue just to be a light for Christ. Uh, we thank you and lift all these things in your name. Amen.